I want you to take your Bibles and open them back up, and let's look at this verse just a moment. And uh, thank you, bud. Sometimes, sometimes there's misconceptions. Sometimes there's misconceptions about the judgment, the last judgment. And in studying and getting prepared for today, I was I was looking at what I needed to do and how we needed to how we needed to approach this particular topic and this particular subject. And and the thought crossed my mind, there are so many different groups of people that are going to face that judgment that are not going to get in. And if you notice, we went from the sure enough sinner, we went from the murderer to the thief that everybody, everybody thinks is going to be in hell. So that's, that's a no-brainer. That's a no, yeah, surely they deserve to go to hell. But then we have the good person, the person that lived their life. They always did good deeds. They always was very passionate and, 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 and they lived a good life. And they thought because of their goodness that they would get in. They didn't think they needed to go to church because they were just as good as the people that go to church because they saw the way people in church act on the outside. I'm just as good as them, but their names were not in the book of life. Then we moved to the one that did go to church, who was in church when the doors were opened, then the invitations were given, and the Holy Spirit would tug on their heart and try to draw them and, and woo them and say, please, today is the day of salvation. And they always put it off until the day came. Listen, you're not promised tomorrow. The Bible says, what is your life? It is even a vapor. It is here today and gone tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Boy, if the Lord is touching your heart and leading you, today is the day to trust him. But then we have the churchgoer, the one who thought he was saved, the one who, who spent tithe money, the one who went on outings and activities, but his whole life, his whole life. I remember in the church I pastored in South Carolina, a lady told me this. She says, I've always been a Christian. What she was translating is this, I've always gone to church. She was connecting going to church with Christianity. Listen, going to church won't get you into heaven. Going into a garage will not make you a car. You must be born again. There are three things about this judgment I want you to see this morning real quickly. If you're writing these things down, do this quick. Number one, as we read this, the Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged according to every man's works. Two, it says in verse 14, Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I read this story as I was studying this week. The following incident is vouched for by a Church of England clergyman who knew all the circumstances involved in this situation. A young woman who had been brought up in a Christian home and who had often had very serious convictions in regard to the importance of coming to Christ chose instead to take the way of the world. Much against the wishes of her. How many of y'all know that you'll be judged according to what you know? To those who know more will be held more accountable. Listen, she, she was brought up in church and she knew responsibility. She knew about Christ, but yet she decided to take the way of the world. Without much conviction, she went against the wishes of her godly mother. She insisted on keeping company with a wild and wicked crowd who lived only for the passing moment and tried to forget the things of eternity. Again and again, she was pleaded with to turn to Christ, but she persistently refused to heed the admonition addressed to her. 
Finally, she was taken with a very serious illness. All that medical science could do for her was done in order to bring about her recovery. But it was soon become evident that the case was hopeless and death was staring her in the face. Still, she was hard and stubborn when urged to turn to God in repentance and trust the Savior. One night, she awoke out of a sleep and frightening, with a frightening look in her eyes, and she asked excitedly, Mother, what is Ezekiel 7, 8, and 9? What is Ezekiel 7, 8, and 9? Not recalling the verses in question, the mother reached for a Bible. As she opened it, her heart sank as she saw the words. But she read them aloud to her dying girl. The words were this, Now I will shortly pour out my fury upon thee, and accomplish mine anger upon thee. I will judge thee according to thy ways, and will recompense thee for all thine abominations, and mine eye shall not spare thee, neither will I have pity. I will recompense thee according to thy ways, and thine abominations that are in the midst of thee, and ye shall know that I am the Lord that smiteth. The poor sufferer, with a look of horror on her face, sank back on the pillow, utterly exhausted, and in a few moments she was in eternity. Just like that. I stood at this, this, this chair, and, and as they were pleading, and we know this is, this is a fictitious story, this is just a skit. But as I listened to, as I listened to Megan and, 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 and Steve and Angie and Gus, and, and they were pleading one more chance, my heart went out. I mean, I just felt like I, I wanted to say and I wanted to put, and, I, and it was hard for me to keep that straight face, that serious face, that mean face. You say, but that's not the Jesus I know. You don't understand. The Jesus at this judgment will not be the Jesus you know. He will not be the Jesus that was on the cross. He will not be the Jesus that was walking up and down the streets of Jerusalem with sandals on. It will not be the forgiving, full of grace Jesus. This will be the Jesus at the judgment, full of fury and wrath because his blood was trampled on. It's not the same Jesus. There will be no mercy at this judgment. If you're taking notes, write these things down quickly. Number one, I want you to see the scene that's described. I want you to look at this scene. I want you to look what's, what's said here at this judgment. The Bible says in verse number, uh, verse number 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the, 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 the dead, small and great, stand before God. We see in this scene, get in your mind quickly, get in your mind uh, this, this scene. There is a great, great white throne judgment, white representing purity, holiness, righteousness, Great white throne judgment. Your sin will stand in stark blackness compared standing up against the white holiness of a holy God. You say, but I'm as good as that person. But that's not who you're going to be standing beside. Your righteousness might stack up pretty good against your neighbor or against your family member or against your friend. But you will not be stacked up against your friend or your family member or your neighbor. You will be standing before a holy, righteous God who there are four creatures around his throne crying daily, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. The word of God says that he is light and in him is no darkness at all. There is no shadow of turning. He don't even have a shadow. We see this scene. A, write this down. I want you to see the manifested righteousness. It is going to be so holy. Chris, it's going to be so powerful. The Bible says that the face of him, the face of him, now get this, read it. It's right there in the scripture. The face of him will be so righteous and so holy and the fury will be in such a way that the heaven and earth will flee away. 
the heaven and earth will be destroyed at that particular time. We know that because the following chapter says, and he made a new heaven and a new earth. What are you saying? Everything that you thought was worth living for, everything that you thought for procrastinating and putting off because of your family or because of your fortune or because of your fame, the things that you thought were more important than Christ will be gone. Every car, every house, every job, everything will be obliterated. It will be empty. There will be nothing in the universe but you and God. Nothing. No place to hide. No place to run. Adam and Eve hid behind trees. Jonah tried to find a ship to run away from God. But there's coming a day in history where it will be you and God. And what a holy scene. What a righteous scene this will be. There's manifested righteousness to them be. I want you to see the multiplied recipients. There's going to be the rich and the poor. The Bible says small and great. Now it's talking about, it's not talking about in physical size. It's talking about in, in, in stature, in culture. In other words, there's going to be presidents here. There's going to, there's going to be dictators here. There's going to be mayors here. There's going to be tycoons here. There's going to be billionaires here. And there's going to be poverty-stricken people here. People of all walks of life, people in every area of life, in every culture, they will be standing before God, kind of like where y'all are at right now. There's going to be an audience. There's going to be a sea of people. Their names will be called to be judged, multiplied, multiplied. Listen, a great multitude. Not only do we see the multiplied recipients, but then see, this is what got me. This is what got me. We have, we have a lawyer in, 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 in the house this morning. She is an advocate. She is a person who stands on the behalf of another. She is one who goes into a courtroom with another person who is standing for trial for some reason or the other, and she is their advocate. She is their go-between. She stands up for the law on that person's behalf. The Bible says as a saved person, if you are born again, in, in 1 John chapter number 2, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a go-between. We have a lawyer. We have somebody to stand on our behalf and say, I am representing this man. I am representing this sister. I, being the Lord Jesus Christ, will stand by you. He will stand by you in the darkest hour. He will stand by you when the prosecuting attorney, Satan himself, is bringing accusations against you. He will stand and be your advocate. But in this courtroom scene, in this courtroom scene, there's no advocate. There's a missing representation. There's no lawyer. There's no support. There's no help. I've seen many people who go to court and they take their family members with them to stand with them for support. They take their spouses with them or take, they, they take their friends with them. Sometimes they call the preacher and want the preacher to go with them. But you need to understand something at this judgment. There'll be no advocate. There'll be no representation. There'll be no preacher. There'll be no, there'll be no friend. There'll be no family. There'll be no one there to stand with you. A mission representation. Not only do you see the scene that's described, number two, I want you to see the substantiation that's displayed. We have already stated that God is a holy God. We've already stated that God is a righteous judge. He will never 
he will never cast anyone into hell without giving them just cause and just reason. You say, where do you find the substantiation that's displayed? Look in verse number, look in verse number 12. Are you there? Say amen. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the, help me y'all, and the, is that books plural or singular? Plural. The books were opened and another book, is that book singular or plural? Let's describe them. The book singular is the book of life. It says it clearly right there. This is the book of life. Every saved person in the history of mankind, every saved person, every believer in God, every person who has put their trust and faith in a holy God, their name is in the book of life. But the Bible says that there is, there is a, another set of books. Do you realize that, that your Bible is a set of 66 books? I believe the Bible is going to be on display. I believe the Word of God is going to be in clear view. You say, why do you believe that? Because it says we will be judged accordingly. It says this in, in Revelation 20, uh, or excuse me, John 12, 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. Watch this. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. What, what evidence does this judge bring to the courtroom? What proof does he bring to give him just cause and just reason to cast those who are unbelievers into hell or into the lake of fire? First, if you're writing these things down, write this down. First, A, there is a record that's clear. There is a record that's clear. You've seen we put pictures up on the screen. I believe with all of my heart God has got a record-keeping system. I believe with all of my heart God is recording every idle word, every idle thought. I've got Bible and Scripture to back that up. I believe every deed that's done, everything that's said. I believe in man's history from the time they're born to the time they die, God has got a record-keeping system. He is not letting anything go by. He is not letting anything slip. He is keeping a clear, clear record. You can hide it from me. Young people, teenagers, you can hide it from your parents. You can hide it from your mama. Listen, you can do everything in the world to hide it from those in this church, but God goes with you everywhere that you go, every step that you take. I don't care what you look like. You might look like a Sunday morning Christian in this building and look like hell itself out there, but I'm telling you, God is keeping a record. And that record will be put on display one day. One day you'll stand before God and you'll give an account. You'll stand before God if you stand up here and sing and then go out there and live like a dog. You'll stand accountable if you come in here and live one way and then go live another way like your friends at school or at work or wherever. God is keeping a record. There is a clear record. Not only will he bring our record up, but B, I want you to see this. Not only is there a record that's clear, there is a role that's confirmed. You may have gone to a restaurant and you're, you're uh, 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 help me now, what do you get at a restaurant? Reservation. Your reservation may have, they may have had a slip and they say, well, we'll just slide you in. No one will be slid in at the judgment. No one will be put in at the judgment. There is a role that's confirmed. We sing the song, when the role is called up yonder, 
I'll be there. I promise you this. There is a role up yonder. There is a role in heaven. Jesus told the disciples they came back and they were all excited but like a bunch of kids with new toys. You gave us power over demons. You gave us power over diseases and we was able to do this and we was able to do that. But he got in their face and said you should not rejoice that you have power over the demons but you should be jumping up and down and thanking God in heaven that your name is written in glory. Boy, we want to talk about God's blessings on earth. Well, God's given me a house or God's given me a car or God's given me this or God's given me that. There was a day when Christians would jump and shout the victory because God wrote their name in glory because salvation was the most important thing in their life. Bar none, say amen. There's a role in heaven. Is your name on that role? Church membership won't put it there. Listen, good deeds won't put it there. Being good to your fellow man won't put it there. The Bible says our righteousness are as filthy rags, for there is none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is your name on that roll? Is your child's name on that roll? Is your parent's name on that roll? Is your family's name on that roll? You say, well, preacher, why are you getting on this? We're saved. We're going to heaven. But who do you know that's not? There's a role that's clear. There's a record that's clear. There's a role that's confirmed. But then see, there's a reason that's concluded. God will always go back to the word. His word will stand forever. His word endureth to all generations. Every person that stands before him, he'll say, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He will go to Isaiah and say, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And you never came to me. They'll be judged according to the law. According to God's word, he will have a reason. Church, say amen. I want you to see this. The Bible says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead. Death is the keeper of the body. Hell, or Gehenna, Hades, is the keeper of the soul. Death one day is going to take all of our bodies. All of our bodies. If if the Lord tarries his coming, our bodies are going to go back to the dust. Death, the grave, is going to hold our bodies, physical bodies. But thank God if you say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, if you die without Christ, hell will receive your soul. That never dying soul, that soul that, that, that is aware. So how do you know it's aware? How do you know we'll feel if we die and go to hell? The Bible says the rich man died and in hell he lift up his eyes. He said, please, he told Father Abraham, please send Lazarus. They may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my parching tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Death and hell, the soul and the body comes back together to stand before the judgment. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. According to their works. Not only do we see the scene that's just described the substantiation that's displayed but then the sentence that's declared the sentence that falls 
the, the gavel falls, the judge concludes the judgment, and the sentence is pronounced. Look what it says. They were judged every man according to their works. As I was reading this, I was thinking, what about this sentence? This sentence is going to be a proper sentence. A proper sentence. Let me, let me, let me go back. In Revelation 21, 8, in the next chapter. In the next chapter. I've got it here, so you don't have to, you don't have to turn. Revelation 21, 8 says this. But the fearful, they weren't murderers. They were just afraid. They would come, and they were afraid to get saved. They were afraid of what their friends would say. They were afraid of what they'd have to give up. They were afraid of what they would have to change in their life. It says, but the fearful, unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and the idolaters, and all liars. Now watch this. This is a key verse. Shall have their part. Shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire. What does that mean? I had this idea and this thought, and, and, and I say, if everybody's going to hell at this judgment, why are they even being judged? I mean, they have the same sentence, they have the same destination, they have the same place. Why, why should they even have to be judged? Because God is a holy judge. God is a righteous judge. He is not going to put Charles Manson in the same place as a good old Johnny who never stole, never cussed, never drank, never did anything. He was just afraid to get saved because he was afraid of what people would say about him. And he was just, hey, he was just a good old boy. God is not going to put the same sentence on him as he does Charles Manson. Yes, he will be in hell. Yes, he will be in his eternal judgment. But it will not be the same severity of judgment, in my opinion, in my belief. I really believe God's Word teaches that. Why? Because God is holy. God is righteous. In other words, you will not get more than you deserve. But I promise you this, you will not get less than you deserve. Charles Manson can cuss God and and do all he wants to, but his day is coming. And every man, according to his life, God will judge him and give the proper sentence. Another thing, there is a missing advocate but then there's a missing appeal the judge system the judicial system now has a a system where appeals can be brought just in case there is a mistake just in case there is a failure just in case something went wrong just in case they have an innocent man but you understand at this judgment there is no appeal because there is no mistake there will be no mistake There'll be nothing there that's wrong. It will be all proper, right, and just. This sentence will be a proper sentence. Then B, this sentence will be a punishing, a punishing sentence. The Bible says, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into a furnace of fire and and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then said the king, Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. If you've studied the Bible any at all in your life, any at all, you'll realize and understand that Jesus spoke way more about hell than he ever did about heaven. 
You may be sitting in this crowd right now saying, Preacher, I don't appreciate the fact you're trying to scare me into heaven. I would rather scare you into heaven than lull you into hell. Trust me, I don't like doing this no more than you like hearing it. I'd rather talk about heaven. I'd rather talk about glory. I had a whole lot better time preaching about heaven in chapter number 3 and 4 and that, that camp meeting time. But I'm telling you, we need to open our eyes and get the wax out of our ears and understand we're running out of time and people are really going to hell. And Jesus took the subject of hell so seriously and it was so important to him that he said this. He said, if your hand offend thee, cut it off. If your hand, if something you are doing, if your job or something you are doing is keeping you from trusting in me and keeping you from getting saved, you need to cut that sucker off and go into heaven with half a a body than to go into hell with all of your body. He said, if your eye offend thee, if there is something that's keeping you from getting saved, if there is some kind of lust or some kind of draw that's there, he said, pluck your eye out. It's better to go into heaven with one eye than go into hell seeing with both of them. He said, fear not man who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. He said, you better fear the one who could take the body and the soul. He took it that seriously. I used to have the numbers, but, but listen, he preached so much more about hell than he ever did about heaven. Oh, preacher, oh, preacher, how, how, why did God make hell for us? He didn't. He didn't. The Bible says hell was created for the devil and his angels. But if you choose to reject Christ today, that'll be your eternal home. This sentence is a proper sentence. This sentence is a punishing sentence. But this sentence is a permanent sentence. This is the, this is the part that bothers me. This is the part that bothers me. This is the part that I can't get over. This is the part that brings tears to my eyes. I, can't sl- I couldn't sleep any this week. Man, I woke up this morning and I had tears in my eyes coming to church this morning thinking about People who will never again get out of hell. There's probation today. There is, there is parole today. There is you do your sentence and then you're out today. But in this judgment, there is no parole. There is no probation. There is no chance of escape. It's permanent. It's permanent. The decisions will be made. The deeds will be done. Everything will be said. Everything will be done. His sentence is severe. I want to read this story. I read this. And boy, it convicted me as a preacher. It should convict you as a saved person. The story is told of a prisoner on death row in England. The priest was called in to minister to him, and he sat mildly with no conviction reading passages from the Bible about judgment and hell. The prisoner stopped him and said, Sir, do you believe those things that you are reading are true? The priest replied, Yes, I do. To which the prisoner, this is what he said. He said, Sir, if I were you and I really believe that what you are reading is the truth, then I would crawl on my hands and knees over burning coals the length and breadth of England to stop just one person from going to that awful place. And we don't have to do that. 
We don't have to crawl on our hands and knees across burning coals. All we have to do is sit in the cab in the truck beside somebody and say, would you please go to church with me? I would love to see you at church. Would you come and hear the gospel? Would you come and be a part of the services? Would you come? We don't have to crawl across coals. God said, just give the message. That's the responsibility that you have. I will take care of the rest. But we are not willing to do even that. Hell's real. How many of y'all believe hell's real? Raise your hand. No, you don't. Because you would have the pew full beside you. If we really believed that. If we really believed it. If you really believe that, that your lost friend or your lost family is going to go to hell. You could not sleep at night. Without knowing you told somebody. Man, I'm under such conviction. We've got 80,000 people. In Coleman County, with the largest number of churches of any county in America, and yet only 25% of the seating capacity is being used in our county. Oh, yeah, we're dry. We can brag. We've got a dry county. We voted it down again. But what are we doing to get people under the hearing of the gospel? You're just angry. I'm burdened. Hell is real. What are we going to do? We've got the greatest opportunity in two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. Statistics say there'll be more people that go to church that will not go to church any time of the year, but they will go to church on Easter. What are we going to do to take advantage of that? Listen, we've got 2,000, 2,000 cards printed up, 2,000 invitations. Will you be one to help me pass them out? Listen, if we run out of them, I got 2,000 more that we can white out the wrong date. We'll use them too, bless God. I don't like doing that, but hey, this is real. You know, the scariest stuff to me is not scary movies that are fake. It's stuff that really happened. And this is going to really happen. Church, say amen. amen. I want everybody to stand. I want everybody to stand. And this is what I want to do. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you'd like to know how to be saved, 